Welcome, my fellow ghouls, to The Night Shift, a horror review show celebrating and critiquing terrors both old and new, while featuring the opinions of me, your host and horror cheerleader Kyle Stook, along with a pool of guests, a blend of gorehounds, snobs, newcomers, scaredy cats, and that's normally where the intro ends, but today I will add, and parents. That's right, on the October special for The Night Shift, we have... And by we, I mean me. I have convinced my mother, my flesh, my blood, my origin story to come on the podcast. My mom, Janice Stook. Welcome. Mom, how are you? I am doing well because I'm here with you. And I'm excited to be here, even though I don't know what I've gotten myself into. She's scared, folks. And that's the whole point of the night shift. We're addressing horror. (laughs) We're looking it in the... Face this where, is horror. This is the horror <laughs> for my mom. Uh, but thanks for joining me, mom. Um, it's very fun. I've always wanted to have you and dad on. And so uh, it's needed, too, because you're mentioned a lot on the night shift. In a lot of my mm-hmm. stories of recounting the first time I saw something or wanted to, or I learned about something, you come up. And so I talked about how a couple episodes episodes ago with Carrie my first exposure to Carrie was the Ed show and they had done like a spoof of pouring the blood on them on someone and I was like you were like oh that's a reference to an old thing and that was the you described then the plot of Carrie and I was like I wanna I wanna know what that is that sounds interesting and um there there's just lots of moments so again your spirit has resided over (laughs) the night shift um, and so it's only fitting that now you're here, Janice. Thanks for having me, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also need to introduce you to um, our editor, Carly. So, Carly, please say something nice to my mom. Hi, Janice. Thanks for birthing Kyle. He's kind of cool. That was very lovely. Thank you for saying that, Carly. Mom, uh, say something nice to Carly. Thank you, Carly, for cutting out all the stupid stuff I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, well, to, before we get into the film that we're going to be talking about today, which is Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, um, something that we do when someone's on the night shift for the first time is we kind of talk about their history and exposure to horror. And I feel like you have a unique uh, background uh, for for some specific reasons. So, tell us, Janice, did you grow up watching spooky stuff? How do you feel about it? Give me everything. Well, I think I grew up accidentally watching spooky stuff because mm. I would just flip through channels and sometimes find things that I probably shouldn't have found. <laughs> and I remember while well, one was at a friend's house, I was um, just watching a show and all of a sudden there were like vampires and knives and it scared me half to death. It was oh. called Dark Shadows. Oh. It was like a soap opera horror <laughs> show. Yeah. And I remember walking home from my friend's house just wondering what lurked behind the bushes Mm. and so i think that's the first time i remember being scared by something i saw on television yeah and then i remember on television watching the movie the blob oh yeah and i don't know like now if i were to watch it i wouldn't think it was scary but there is something scary about this big thing that grows and it actually can keep up with a 
person running away yeah. and envelop it. And then all of a sudden they're part of the big gooky blob. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember the potato candy that I make for Christmas every year. Can't forget it. Um, but it kind of starts looking like this, like that. And so I can picture my candy taking over the world because of the <laughs> blob. <laughs> I can picture my candy taking over the world. Subtle flex. I love it. Yeah. Now, which blob was it? Because um, we, I think, watched it together. The one that you had seen where you were young. Is that the one with Steve McQueen? Yes. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a couple versions of it. I think so. But, but I don't it was know. Steve McQueen. And is mm-hmm. it is that... um. What year was it made? Do you remember? I do not remember. Carly, okay. could you insert the year? Carly, <laughs> Carly, tell us the year right now. 2006. No, I'm just kidding. It was 1958. Carly's going to be annoyed because I never ask her to actually speak things for the most part. <laughs> but Carly, listen, you're getting paid, so I don't want you to complain. Uh, no. <laughs> Perfect. Well, it was made whatever Carly said it was. And yeah. Carly probably, as revenge, is just going to say the wrong year. She's going to be like <laughs> 2006. <laughs> but, okay, so then after the blob, I know you have uh, some, some more tales. Continue. Yes. So after the blob, I, well, I would say the first movie that I saw in the theater that was scary was Jaws. Okay. Oh. And I went, I was eighth grade when it came out. So yes, I got to see it without spoilers or knowing anything that was going to happen before Universal put up Jaws there mm. for all the tourists to come see. But yeah, Jaws was the first experience of the suspense and then the animal attack. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And then it was really hard to even take a bath after yes. that. <laughs> Did you um, like, was there hype around the movie? Is that like, like what, when did you first like, was it one of your friends who suggested it? Or did you see a poster? Did you see a trailer radio? Like what? How did you become aware of the movie? And then, like, did you know you're like, oh, this is like a scary shark attack movie going into it? Or what? like what drew you to the theater? I think often the reason why I saw movies is because a friend would say, let's go to the movies. And I didn't care what it was. I just would go. And so I was always surprised because I never really read any of the reviews before I went. So I knew it was a shark movie, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know like the first opening scene. Oh yeah. You know, was like, oh my, it starts <laughs> off hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what more are they going to do? <laughs> it uh yeah, it comes out of the gate swinging. It's probably like one of the worst in terms of like how well it freaks you out. It's probably like, one of the worst opening scenes ever. Um which audience, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but this is going to be a quick night shift fact, which is Jaws is A, my favorite film of all time, and B, as a result of it being the genre, one of my favorite horror films of all time. Um, and so we haven't covered it yet, but recently that had its whatever anniversary, and it was fun to, as you know, Mom, uh, I got to take the nieces uh, to go see it in IMAX uh, for a re-release, and... Uh, I, uh, you know, I enjoyed watching them scream, uh, which sounds <laughs> terrible, but it was like, you get yeah. to, it's three generations of Jaws, which I think you pointed out, but it's like, you saw it first in the theater, which again, I'm so jealous of, but then I was shown it in our family and then I get to, to show it to someone else. And, um, 
I don't know how much they liked it, but I think they liked it, but I don't think they like I like think it, they like it. Wanted to like it because they were there with you. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we had fun. Yeah. They did uh, like the pop out scene because I asked them about that. The time when they're underwater and that. Am I allowed to give spoilers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the head pops out, I remember vividly that moment because it shocked me so bad I started laughing hysterically. Yeah. And so I'm the only one in the theater just laughing my head off because uh, it's like a nervous laughter. Yeah. So I asked the girls what they thought of that and they said, yeah, that got them too. <laughs> Can I, and I'm going to admit something here. Okay. I, you know, had talked about how I would warn against scary scenes as a deal for bringing them to the film. And in a moment, uh, like a split second decision, my 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 id uh, came out and was like, no, I'm going to let it happen. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said nothing because I was like, something's got to get them. Like, there's got to be a surprise, you know, because everything else has kind of already been spoiled. So I'm sorry, Jonathan and Julia. I withheld, I withheld one moment, but again, it was awesome. <laughs> it got them. They yeah. jumped. Yeah. Um, so I can be prosecuted in uh, <laughs> Uncle Uncle uh, uh, filmmaking jail. But um, yeah, I'm very jealous. You saw Jaws in theaters. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. After Jaws, I know there's some more. After Jaws, you know, the high school when all the scary movies started coming out again, I only went because my friends would go. Mm-hmm. So I saw the Halloween movies. I stopped babysitting after the Halloween movies. <laughs> <laughs> I saw alien, which was kind of one of those, you know, it's like, it's nonsense, but you feel so real in the moment that mm-hmm. you believe in aliens and you, you know, it's like, it, it just really was scary. And then the Amityville horror, um, I should have never seen that one because that one scared me to death. My friend and I were coming back to the house and I ran all the red lights because I refused to stop because I knew someone was after me. Um, So I remember that. And then, you know, the silly ones too, like Young Frankenstein, Um, watching that and just kind of, you know, kind of smirking at the original Frankenstein. But Mm -hmm. so those kind of movies. At some point, I realized that I didn't like being as scared as they were making me. So I backed away. I backed Mm -hmm. off. Where has Janice ended up in terms of like her line of like something could technically be horror like Jaws, Jurassic Park. Uh, we might watch like Placid tonight. Um, <laughs> what, what, where do you fall, Mom? I think that the thing that I really don't like is evil people. Yeah. So, like, when you have an evil person that is, you know, out to kill or out to whatever, it's like that. Just to me, I don't enjoy watching mm-hmm. that at all. I don't like the blood and guts. Mm-hmm. I don't like the, you know torture or any of that kind of stuff yeah but you know it's different when it's like a creature yeah because that's so non-reality um and i do like suspense i like not knowing i like the twists and the turns and if it's done well i find it very fun yeah because we watched uh well first to go backwards i I specifically wanted to poke and, and prod at that because i think that that's a example of like how a lot of people feel about horror which is like that it has the umbrella of like slasher and then that's like not appealing to people 
and it totally like makes sense to me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really tend to like that stuff that much either. Again, we talk about it on the show. There's some examples where I find things I like, but um, yeah, it's like, I think that there's the potential for it to be much more appealing to people than what they think. Cause like you said, we watched a lot of thrillers growing up and that's always a conversation and a debate within the horror community is fighting with people over what's the difference between a thriller and horror when they really have a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, you know, 24 as example is obviously not horror, but it's like it. It's intense. It's intense. <laughs> yeah. It's intense. And there it's like, it's thrilling. Cause again, it's the joy is coming from, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. And I think that's the feeling that you and I are able to meet in the middle on of like that sort of stuff is like tasty. It's a roller coaster. Um, Trying to think, are there any thrillers that come to mind that you really enjoy? Some of the ones that, like, I know we watched as a family. I don't know if we're, either of us are in love with. And I mean by that, like, Along Came a Spider. I don't really remember anything about that. I liked Lady in the Water. Mm. That's one that comes to mind. Which you're an outlier, and we've talked about that. Most people don't like that movie, but I'm with you. Like, I don't. I'm in between. There's like, most people don't like it. And then I'm like, there's some things about that are really goofy, but overall I really like it. And then you really like it. And I like that because it shows yeah. you're an original Janice. Thanks so much. I was surprised that I liked it. I was prepared not to like it. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, but I you was. also, uh, you enjoyed um, Signs and The Village, correct? Or no? Yeah, I liked those. And like, even, let's see. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another one that I can't come up with the name. That's fine. I, and I think that's a great transition to the film that we're talking about today, The Birds, because I think M. Night Shyamalan, who directed the films we just mentioned, um, watching The Birds, I was like, you know what? I feel like M. Night Shyamalan loves Alfred Hitchcock because I feel like they do a lot of the same things. And I feel like, and I'm just hypothesizing, I didn't research this, but I feel like M. Night Shyamalan saw what Hitchcock did and was like, oh, he's taking crazy situations and then he's applying a lot of humanity to them and he's really soaking you up and just like treating it like a real life thing. And then halfway through, you introduce something that's scary and then it makes it even more scary. So as opposed to Jaws, which comes out of the gate going, there's a shark that's going to destroy you. The birds signs even the village the village less so but they're just like hey here's people we're gonna make you like them here's what they're dealing with here's the family tension and then it's like oh by the way evil birds or aliens or well i can't really say for the village but uh, without spoiling <laughs> it but those there's a yeah it's like you're not getting grossed out and with the birds like you're not really having a hard time going to bed Because you're not like, oh, there's a bird underneath my bed, you know, as opposed to a man. Right. But it's still you get that like, what's going on? But and even though it's ridiculous, you care. Agree or disagree? I care, Kyle. I care. About me? About you. That's what I did this whole podcast. And I cared about the people. I cared about the people in the movie. (laughs) I was worried for them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of them, why don't you tell us the quick little plot synopsis of what The Birds is about? Well, I think Alfred Hitchcock, sorry, I think he was hoping to do a romantic comedy 
And then something happened in the middle and he changed his mind and thought, I'm going to mess these people's lives up and in came the birds. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, you know, it kind of starts out, um, you know, with a, a woman and a man meeting in a city and then she's following him to a really small town off the coast and then, you know, kind of their interaction mm -hmm. and you just think, oh, this is kind of fun, you know getting to know her, getting to know him, getting to know the area and some of the other townspeople, and then just little things that start popping up through the journey of giving signs to something bigger to come. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, I like it. Mysterious, Janice. What, what will happen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Didn't want to give it away. That's right, you did a good job. Um, cool. Well, before we get, um, into it more, um, I just was wondering, did you, um, shut the attic upstairs? Like I asked you to, <gasps> you did it. back folks on the night shift with my mom hi kyle hi mom <laughs> um the birds this film came out in 1963 now i know and as we said it was directed by alfred hitchcock uh who very famous director but if you don't know he did psycho he did north by northwest he did vertigo he did rope he did rear window he did dial m for murder he did Strangers on a Train and a bunch of other movies, but I tried to choose the ones that I thought people would be most familiar with. Um, this film was written by Evan Hunter. He has 51 credits on IMDb, and I didn't recognize anything that he did except for a couple episodes of Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then this film was based on the novella by Daphne de Marier. Um, she actually wrote two other stories that Alfred Hitchcock adapted, one being Rebecca, the other being Jamaica Inn. And then she also, I learned, wrote a short story called Don't Look Now, which was famously adapted into a horror movie starring our boy Donald Sutherland, who I love. And we just recently saw earlier on the night shift in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, and then she published this short story originally as The Apple Tree, a short novel and several long stories. But then after the success of The Birds, it was reissued as The Birds and Other Stories. But, and we'll talk about this more later, apparently, oh, I, I, mom. I have something to interject here, Hit Kyle. me, Mom. Hit, that's why you're here. So did you know that Alfred Hitchcock had been inspired by a 1961 incident when thousands of seagulls had crashed into homes on the Monterey coast. And they, it turns out that the reason why they were all crashing was because they had eaten um, poisoned algae. algae. Yes. But that image stuck with him and he was going to kind of do something smaller scaled. Mm. But then he remembered that he had bought the rights to this short story book that this woman had. And so kind of both together made it where he wanted to then do the birds. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting um, in terms of like 
the two being separate incidents that then come together because uh, the the short novella has nothing to do with the movie. Uh, again, he when he called the um, writer or when they met together, he was like, scrap the novel. Like, we're just keeping the name and we're keeping that birds attack. And so it seems like he liked the idea of birds. And then, like you said, after that incident, he was like, that's all I'm really interested in. And then the rest will do ourselves. But that, yeah, like real life, having birds just swoop down and crash through your windows. And the fact that it was algae. Cause I also, I read about that incident and I read that along with like crashing into people's houses and just dying, they also were like throwing up. Um, I forget. The birds were throwing up. Yeah. The birds were, <laughs> <Yuck>. <laughs> the birds were throwing up. What was it? Um, uh, uh, let's see. Dive bombing into their homes, crashing into cars and spewing half digested anchovies onto lawns. And so I'm like, dang, like, <laughs> yeah, that's what it said on IMDb. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's just, that would be super scary. Um, and I'm like, where's this algae? <laughs> Can I eat it? I don't want to, but like, if it happened to the birds, like, could it get into my food? And we'll talk about this in the spoilers, but it is just like, we take certain aspects of nature for granted in terms of them being chill. And it's like something like that can until just throw it not. off. That's right. <laughs> they were chill until they were not. Um, let's see. Um, yep. I think that was the only last note I had. Um, I'm going to have questions about this for you, mom. So um, there's five main actors in this movie. Um, so it stars Tippi Hedren. And I was curious if you knew her from anything else. I, the only thing I recognized, cause this is her first official film. Mm-hmm. The only other film I recognized was roar. Um, and then I just saw lots of television. Is there anything else significant that she did that you know of? She was in Marnie. What's which that? was 1964, another Alfred Hitchcock movie, I think. And I can't remember the story plot, but I remember that was one that I did watch. Okay. Um, it was interesting because when I was reading a little bit about her, um, they alluded that she did not have a good relationship with Alfred Hitchcock and yeah. that he foiled her career a little bit, Yeah. Um, which is not very nice. And I don't know what that was about, but he had the power of being who he was that he could submarine people's you know, careers or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and you probably already know this, but she's the mother of Melanie Griffith, who is the mother of Dakota Johnson. Remind me, I know I, I knew that Dakota Johnson was her granddaughter. Tell me about Melanie. Who is she? What's she known for? Griffith. Well, um, she was in a movie that I liked called what was it? The Working Working Girl. What was that? No. Hey, Carly, could you help us out? The Working Girl, I think, with Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver. Um, So that was one probably in the 80s, 1980, 1990. Okay. She was also in another one with uh, Michael Douglas. um, And I can't remember the name of it, but Lauren and I really liked that movie. It was like World War II. Okay. Um, But she wasn't just a lot of, you know, movies and television shows <laughs> and television shows <laughs> was she, she was on the married, radio though <laughs> she was also married to don johnson oh, okay who was I like don johnson um, what was that tv show that he was in miami vice okay so anyway those are those are the little connections that i remembered you know when i realized who tippy hedron was 
I will read some specific stuff about her and um, Alfred Hitchcock's relationship later because I have that in my negatives, um, which we'll get into. That's but right. yeah. you just saying that he tanked her career, I can totally buy. Because again, looking at her IMDb list, I was surprised that she wasn't in more because I, when I watched this movie, which we had watched together um, in 2008, mm-hmm. and that was my first time watching it. It might have been my first, first Hitchcock movie. I'm not sure. But I remember really liking it. And by the way, on that note, when had you first seen it? Was that the first time or had you watched it before? I can't remember. I okay. think that might have been the first time I watched that one. Um, and then I didn't remember much I didn't remember much of it until um I just watched it again and I actually liked it better this time. Yeah. Um, even though I would have liked to have watched it with you. I know. No, watching it, I was like this girl's awesome. I was like, she totally um, is like holding her own. Cause I know people, when they think of, you know, Alfred Hitchcock leading women, they think of Grace Kelly, but and who I love and is awesome and deserves people being like, Oh, Grace Kelly. But I thought that uh, Tippy was also really good. Um, such a fun performance. Um, I was really impressed. And so it was kind of sad when I was like, Oh, she wasn't in much more again, movie wise. Um, I got lots of television to catch up on, I guess. But um, next is our leading man is Rod Taylor. Again, I didn't recognize a lot for him. The one thing I saw was that he was in the um, Time Machine, the not the Brendan Fraser one, obviously, but <laughs> the one beforehand. And then he also was in a um, episode of the Twilight Zone. Did you recognize him from anything else? I did not, except for one movie, the movie Giant. And what's that and about? And he was in that with Elizabeth Taylor. Mm. Um, but I don't even remember what it was about, but I remember that was one of the movies my mom liked. Okay. And so that's what my connection was to recognizing it, but I never saw it. Okay. I And so we were talking about this earlier. I There was, watching it, there was an actor the whole time where I was like, he's really, Rod Taylor's really reminding me of someone. And I couldn't figure it out. And I withheld it until this recording. And so I will reveal the mystery mom. And you might disagree, but also after this recording, I'm going to show you some clips and maybe you'll agree. Rod Taylor had major Robin Williams vibes to me. And not not funny Robin Williams. Robin Williams when he's bearing serious because he had that kind of kind smile. Uh, he had very similar skin, uh, just kind of that like... It seems like sun bleached kind of skin, but like like you're tan, but you're still white. I don't know how to describe it, but as soon as I thought Robin Williams I was like, yep, that's it. So we are going to, after this recording, sit down and play the birds simultaneously as uh, Dead Poet Society. <laughs> and it will be great. I don't think so, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, audience, you can't see it, but my mom was shaking her head the whole time, and it made me angry. <laughs> mom not agreeing with me is the true horror. Um, <laughs> next, we have Jessica Tandy, who I recognize two things, one being Driving Miss Daisy, and the second is a mom is a mom is a movie that I know you like, which is Fried Green Tomatoes. There you go. And an earlier movie, A Streetcar Named Desire. And that was another well-received movie. Was she a main character in that? Not the main character. Was she Desire? Did she play the streetcar? She was the streetcar. 
Um, and then next we have Susan Plachette, and I recognized. And did you ever watch the Bob Newhart show, Mom? I did. And she was like the main wife on that, or what? She was the main wife. Yes. Uh, is that is that bad to say? Oh, I guess. Well, he didn't have another wife. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a Mormon show. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, but they, yeah, they were they were great together. She was really good in that. But if you remember, um, I think you've seen her before. Okay. And support your local sheriff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the ugly dash hound in the Disney movies. I don't. Oh, wait, the ugly dash hound. The ugly dash hound. Is what? that the name of the movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know what those are. Yeah, but she was she was always a lot of fun. She was very beautiful, but she um, was a great actress, mm-hmm. and so I always I always liked her. The thing that made me happy is one of my favorite um, Miyazaki movies. Um, the Studio Ghibli is Spirited Away, and I saw that she was a uh, uh, one of the voices for the American dub, and. Uh, that movie slaps spirited away we will cover it on the night shift at some point you know it's not true horror but yes i will add one last thing and this Hit is me. just for you kyle because <gasps> nobody else okay. will care no one else listen <laughs> <laughs> so that thing that you do yeah which is one of my favorite movies and is a, and family, it's a movie. family favorite yes when they are when the band is meeting the main producer who is not a great person and i mm-hmm. have a clip that i will show you later on today it's on my computer cool but they reference, hey, what were you doing this weekend? Were you with Suzanne Plachette? <laughs> and then the photographer snaps the picture of the boys and then he pushes them away and they have to, they're like, oh, that was it. Mm. But anyway, she was referenced in that movie. That's so random. I know. Like, why? So, like, was, is she mainly known for the Bob Newhart show or like what? No, would... before that, she was an upcoming actress. Gotcha. And she was at all the parties. And so to give him validity, they tied him with her. Gotcha. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's why I love this show is that, again, you find all the connections between certain things. I learned a lot just about, I mean, horror, but then also cinema history and, and filmmaking stuff. And um, it's fun. I like it. I'm becoming more powerful. It's all about the power. Don't laugh. I said I'm becoming more powerful <laughs> when mom starts laughing. The true horror. <laughs> um, the last yeah. person on our list, which I'm curious, mom, if you recognize based on um, a film that you said that you saw earlier is Veronica Cartwright, um, who we just saw recently, again, on the night shift in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But she played the little girl in this film. And she's in famously one of the films that you said you saw growing up. Um, and I will just tell us because you have a face that looks stressed and there's no need to be stressed. I had notes on her and I can't find them. Okay. She um, is famously for being an alien and she is the girl who I've talked about. I said this on invasion of the body snatchers episode, but she is my favorite because an alien she's uh, in the chest burster scene and she got sprayed with blood and she wasn't expecting it. And so in the film, when that scene happened, she goes, oh, God, (laughs) it has stuck in my brain because it's so funny, but it's also very realistic. But it's also literally realistic because she didn't know that was going to happen. And when this little girl in this movie first spoke, it sounds exactly in that same tone. Oh, God, like (laughs) she has just a very specific voice. And I went, I know that little girl. And I was like, wait. 
do the timelines match? Could this little girl have grown up to be like a young adult in Alien? And I, I, I Googled it and I was like, yep, that's her. And I was like, that's awesome. That's interesting that that impacted you because now that you say that, I remember reading all the different horror movies she was in and that's what she was known for was her scream yeah. in horror movies. It's good. <laughs> it is she good. She does a good job. And I guess um, Alfred Hitchcock, who again is a very complicated man. There's good, there's bad, there's there's genius, but there's also uh, strangeness. He, um, after filming... Um, a lot of people gave her gifts. I think that, um, uh, what's her face? I think Tippi Hedren actually gave her lovebirds as a gift in real life. Uh, but Alfred Hitchcock wrote a note saying to the woman I love. And then he did his classic Hitchcock portrait where it's like the side of his face. And then she still has it and has it framed in her house. And she was like, I know that he's a complicated man, but he was really nice to me, <laughs> yeah. which is nice. She said that she was, uh, really curious about everything so she would question every aspect of the film and he would like casually just answer it like he wasn't annoyed he was happy to explain the the process which is kind of cool for a young actor yeah um before we get to um positives and, and negatives i'm sure you have a lot of fun facts as well so if we want to take turns giving fun facts we can we might have some of the same fun facts we because might. again like mother like son as they say mm -hmm. Um, first fun fact, this is one that is for our listeners. We just on the other day on the night shift covered, um, I know what you did last summer, which is a 90s slasher film, which you would hate. Uh, never saw it. <laughs> you don't need to. It's not very good in my opinion. Um, but the opening shot is, um, this really crazy cool, um, helicopter shot over these winding hills near the coast. And when I was watching the birds, I was like, is that the same coast from, I know what you did last summer. Cause there's a scene, you know, where the main character, she's driving through the hills to this coastal town. And I looked it up and it is, it is the oh, same, wow. That's same area. And I was like, I don't, again, like, I know what you did last summer, but I was like, Oh, that was probably a cool intentional on their behalf where they're like oh it's like horror canon in a way you know so i thought that was cool that is cool i was gonna add that scene where they're driving on the when she's driving the road dad and i were cracking up because the little lovebirds would run, go lean to the right then they would lean to the left and it was just kind of a humor in the middle of her driving these windy roads having them leaning together again <laughs> like mother like son because i actually put that in my pauses i thought that was really clever directing <laughs> yeah because there's a lot of like terrible green screen shots in this movie where you're like that person's obviously in front of it uh, and it's weird because they do different versions because some are real and you're like oh that's beautiful and then they do some of the green screen stuff and you're like oof that looks bad which again it was something that was a part of the time so no judgment but mm -hmm. that lovebird shot yeah it helps communicate that this really is a windy area and so just seeing the birds lean left to right was really cute and clever so 10 points mom yay <laughs> <laughs> um Something that I thought was funny, and again, I was glad to learn the context behind it, is at the very beginning of the movie, first off, there is a Hitchcock cameo, as there normally are, which was fun. But also, it starts off really weird because the main character, she's walking to the store, and she gets catcalled. 
And then she turns around and she kind of like smiles and then goes into the store. And I made a note. I just wrote down weird reaction to getting cat cold because, you know, and it's not that, you know, uh, women can't enjoy attention for for being pretty. But it's also nowadays not something that's really uh, affirmed or encouraged. Um, And so I just thought that was weird. But when learning about the film, um, Hitchcock first saw Tippi Hedren in a commercial and that was the commercial was it was for a diet drink and she was walking down the street and a man whistled at her. And so anyway, that being the way we meet her character was an inside joke for Alfred Hitchcock because it's a recreation of that exact commercial, um, which I thought was kind of fun. Yeah, that's very interesting. Now, uh, do you have a fun fact or anything that you want to share or I don't want to hog the mic? Nope. Keep going. I will. Okay. Um, next Fun fact is that um, uh, there was a raven uh, named Archie, and it hated Rod Taylor, who again was the main male lead, and it would attack him every time it saw him. And there's a very famous still from the film that shows Rod Taylor looking in fear and moving away from the raven. And it was so bad that Rod would come into work and he would ask the animal handler, she'd be like, is, uh, is Archie working today? <laughs> kind of scared. And they'd be like, no, boss, no. But they built a cage around the, the some of the sets. And so then, you know, he wasn't working. The birds were all there. And so sometimes even not being involved at all, uh, Archie would just swoop down and try to attack Rod. And it was like, what did what did he do to that bird? Or does that bird think does that does he look like someone that bird hates? Do you have a bird that hates you, Mom? Well, Bert the parrot didn't like me very much. We did have a parrot growing up. What was his well, name? Actually, he wasn't my parent. This was a jungle parent that belonged to somebody else. Oh, is this in Yappy? No, this is in Makuma. Oh, okay. And I was walking from the river back to these people's houses, and I heard this flapping of wings <laughs> getting louder and louder, and I for some reason could feel something behind me ducked my head and I was buzzed over the head by a flying parrot Oh man! who just would randomly attack people. Oh man. So can you imagine like that was like the, for birds, you had to have more than one to terrify a city, but one terrified me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and also, and I've thought about this in later years, I continue to just process my childhood as an adult, as people do. And something that I forgot about was when we lived in shell, I forget who owned it. We don't have to say their names, but there was some family who had a parrot and it was chained to a tree. Do you remember this? And it would attack or squawk at you when you walked by. Um, It had like, you know, it wasn't, it had like a long chain. So it could like move like three, four meters in any direction, but it was a very, really mean parrot. And so I would always ride my bike to my friend's house past that parrot and it would like, and like come running after me. And I was scared. It's a terrifying sound. Birds are scary, mom. They are scary. They're dinosaurs. Um, They got beaks, they got claws. They're designed to like eviscerate your their prey and if they can't do that they poop in your head and that that's right it's happened to me too yeah feces is the true <laughs> horror mama um and then finally uh because you mentioned the the real life attack which i had as a fun fact but you know you know it's fun in retrospect probably wasn't very fun in the moment but um rod taylor claims so again we don't know if this is true rod may be fibbing but 
Um, he claims that the seagulls were fed a mixture of wheat and whiskey because it was the only way to get them to stand around and be chill as much as they were. Which <laughs> <laughs> I think is funny. That would not fly today. Oh, Carly put a drum sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know what was funny is um, I read somewhere again, I don't know if this is true, but I read that they got the like the approval of like no animals were harmed in the making of this film. And I was like, BS, there's no <laughs> way I was like watching some of the scenes in this movie and reading like what they did with birds. I was like, there's no, you totally hurt some birds, <laughs> not intentional. I don't think any film tries to hurt a bird intentionally. Although as we learned on Friday the 13th, sometimes animals are killed on screen and it's not good. Um, a snake rest in peace. Um, but yeah, I just, you can't give animals whiskey. <laughs> but I just love there's all these intoxicated birds who are just like, well, man, I'm I'm working today, I guess. I got I got to get it together. Let us now, mom, get to the part of the show where we guess each other's rating. So again, this is a A to F scale. Um and I told you, you know, um F minus to A plus, but in actuality, that's not true because again, Leah Johnson on the night shift, she created a new rating, which is A plus plus, uh, which again, she uh, gave towards Friday the 13th, which uh, still baffles me, but Leah, you're a treasure and you're unique and you're lovely and I love you and you'll probably never hear this. Anyway, uh, mom, what do you think I'm going to give the night shift? Sorry. <laughs> I, I give Night Shift an A. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> I give my own podcast an A++. Sorry. Yeah. What do you think I'm going to give the birds? I think I've gotten the A++ vibe from you. At okay. least an A. Yeah. I'm going to guess um, B for you. Mom has a poker face. And she is. I don't know when I'm supposed to give it up. <laughs> no, you're, yeah, you're not supposed to say now. Okay. Um, cool. Well, let's start off with positives for the movie. What did you like about the birds, Mom? I did think that the way they set the movie up and even the pace of it as they did reveals and as the tension of the movie grew, I really enjoyed um, the anticipation. And then I also really thought the acting was really well done. Mm -hmm. I liked the characters. I cared about the characters. Um, one of the things that I'm going to give kudos to you, because oh. we've had conversations about, Kyle, why? Why do you like horror movies? <laughs> <laughs> and we've had a lot of conversations about this. And you've always said that horror movies and what they the stress that people or the characters get put under reveals character. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this played out in this movie is that you, you know, the character of what some of them started with, they had more to them than met the eye. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was fun to kind of see that, you know, this, the woman character um, that she, you know, was supposedly a spoiled, um, very rich got what she wanted and, you know, really wasn't very deep mm -hmm. that that's what we were supposed to think she was. That's what the mom thought of her. That's mm -hmm. what people thought of her. And then it was slowly revealed. That's really not all of who she was. And then there was more to her that as we saw her develop, we saw the mom develop. Um, so I really liked how the characters 
because I feel like sometimes in movies that it's more the horror part or the action that they're going mm-hmm. for and the characters get missed. And so these yeah. characters had a little bit more depth to them. Absolutely. Yeah. I um I really like the the characters in this movie. I think that Melanie is a really nice protagonist because you know, like you said, she's uh kind of like a prankster, a socialite, you know, she you know has all these exploits that are and her dad like owns a newspaper, maybe multiple newspapers and so um she's in the public eye and you know she likes to she's kind of mischievous and goes very out of her way to pull quote-unquote pranks because that's what's funny about this movie yeah. is that she's like so she has no responsibilities whatsoever no she's <laughs> like oh this guy like is trying to like like he like he's not playing along so she's kind of throwing some shade my way i'm gonna take the weekend to mess with him <laughs> <laughs> and she drives all the way to sneak lovebirds into his house and i'm like that's not a prank that's a free gift um <laughs> but i i really like just like how confident she was because again it's like single woman goes to a brand new town and she's just walking around going hey where does this person live tell me where he lives okay cool how do i get there no no no, i don't want to be seen how do i get there secretly a boat where do i get a boat call me a boat okay cool thank you like yeah. she just and even to know the girl's name it's like you don't really you're not really confident i'm gonna go find somebody who knows the name of this girl yeah it's she... going to be an honest to goodness legit prank yeah she's dedicated <laughs> to the bit she's like i have to know his sister's name so that i could put it on a card like she's really dedicated and i really liked her and i liked her dialogue with rod's dirt i think mitch is the name of the guy i liked her yeah. dialogue with mitch it's very fun um courtship and kind of the um i'm not sure what the romantic term but like frenemy it starts off of mm-hmm. like kind of two equals in the sense he's a lawyer and so like in terms of wits they're like match like they're the dialogue going back and forth is very clever they're each kind of taking shots but it's also a little bit like you're hot too and i won't put my <laughs> mouth on your mouth um and then depth where where the film and I say in quotes, didn't need to, because again, there's all the mom is a fully built character who has a history and a path past and has feelings and it plays into the whole plot because, and it's not just there because then that affects the uh, friend character who again was played by mom. Will you beat me? Well, um, her, it was Annie played by Suzanne Plachette. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she, again, she is a teacher and someone who had relations with Mitch in the past. And again, that plays into the film and is interesting. They're actually nice to each other in a w- kind of wary way. Yeah. Well, understand because this like random girl pops out what of nowhere. What is she doing? <laughs> and it's like, where's Mitch live? <laughs> Can I stay here? can i have your cigarette you know it's just like but then yeah like they i think the film treats their relationship maturely as opposed to being like oh they both like the same guy like they're gonna be mean to each other and it's like no they're both were mature and you know like she gets back from going to his house and she's like you want some brandy (laughs) i was like (laughs) heck yeah this girl's cool um, and the daughter, normally I hate children, uh, both in real life and in film. And I thought the daughter was like suitably childlike, but then also pleasant. 
and honestly brave there's a sequence uh like when there's a bird attack and she stops to help another kid and i was like oh that's a nice little touch like brave little kid if i was a little kid i'd be like you're on your own billy poor billy (laughs) r.i.p billy (laughs) um any other positives mom i was trying to like just are we talking about scenes are we talking about anything everything that you liked about the movie that's not a spoiler that is not a spoiler. I'm trying to think of, find the name of that song that they were singing in the schoolyard. Yes. Rickety Rackety, or I don't know what it was, <laughs> but it's interesting because um, Melanie comes out to wait for school to be over and this song to be over and you see her sitting on a bench and then you just watch one bird and then you hear the singing and then you see Melanie, three birds, mm-hmm. and you see hear the singing and the singing's all pleasant yes and she's kind of in a peaceful mode of waiting which maybe that's one of my negatives is people were not rolling up windows (laughs) people were not getting out from being in the open yeah people were opening doors (laughs) they should not Um, but it was just an interesting scene of kind of building up building up building up um, where all these people inside the school building are unaware and even Melanie's unaware because she's just smoking on a bench and it's all happening behind her head. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, no, this is not good. But just the suspense of using the music and then some silence and just the way that they worked that. It was really interesting to me. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. I had that in my positives as well Is that when that scene happened, I just thought it was so well orchestrated of building the suspense and just very, you know, ominous image of just more and more birds and they're black, like right. There might be Ravens just being on the, the playground. And then when Melanie finally turns around being like, Oh crap, <laughs> that's too many birds, which yeah, maybe this is a negative, but I did think she, she's like, we got to get the kids out of here. I was like, but they're inside where it's safe. Because then she brings them all outside, and then that's when they get attacked. I was like, it probably should have just been, hey, they shouldn't leave. Let's board up the windows as opposed to let's bring out the dinner to the birds. Um, but yeah, the music, mm-hmm. you said it's peaceful. I found it creepy. And I was like, this is horror movie music. You know, it, in the in the world, it's right, peaceful yeah, and right. beautiful. But I was like, this is yeah. scary. And I need mom right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think the, yeah, I think the film is really well directed. Um, and there's a lot of scenes like that where I just was like, that's great. Um, in terms of the characters, um, I, I wrote a, a funny exchange that made me laugh. Cause again, this film is genuinely funny. Like there's f- people say funny things and I think it's intentional, but right when Melanie first gets attacked by a bird, it's the first, uh, bird attack in the film. Uh, they bring her on board and a random guy's like, what happened? And uh, Mitch is like a gall swiped her. And then this side character just goes, a gall? <laughs> like it's How the most, that be? yeah, like the most surprising thing in the world. Yeah. I was like, good acting there, my guy. That was funny. I also, something I liked about this movie in terms of the characters, the world building, the directing was that um, Hitchcock didn't want the audience distracted by little details that he knew could be cleared up in a, in a second. And what I mean by that is, um, I watched an interview with the writer and he was 
telling Hitchcock something about the plot and then Hitchcock was obviously not paying attention and then just interrupted him and was like, has he, has, uh, has Melanie called home yet? And the writer was like, what? He's like, has, has she called her dad yet? He's probably wondering if she's okay. We should probably put that in the film. And I like that approach because I think a lot of times on the night shift, that's a lot of the critiques that me and some of our fellow viewers have is that it's not mirroring reality or there's obvious steps in human psychology that the film is not acknowledging. So like we talk about that a lot, it's something super scary happens and then characters are like, (gasps) and then they just return to their normal lives and don't tell anyone. And it's like, what are you doing? And so I liked that in this movie, that scene didn't stand out to me, but as soon as they said that, I was like, Oh yeah. Like there's that present throughout the birds where it's like, people are, acting in a normal way for again there, there's some moments of like hey maybe if we know birds are attacking we should do certain things but i do like that detail that's like yeah someone would be like oh hey by the way i need to phone home dad yeah i'm okay or even before the craziness yes i got to the town it makes sense that a single woman would be like hey just so you know i'm traveling so if i don't come back like you know who did it hashtag put mitch in jail um <laughs> And I think, again, that's like you saying, characters, if you tell me a good story, I'm there for whatever the plot, the setting, the time period, whatever it's about, the genre, I'm there. And that's what I do think horror misses so much is that they do just want to get to the gore. But I think if you take the approach like the birds, when you treat people like people, you get us invested, you make us like them. You say, hey, these people aren't, you know, horny teenagers who you hate and let's kill them. It's like, eh, I don't care. But when you're like, Hey, here's a young couple that's in love and uh, here's their relationship, how it starts. And then there's a complicated family stuff and it's just blossoming. And then you throw in a problem and the problem happens to be murderous birds. It's like, Oh, I really care. I, I don't want that to happen. Whereas with Friday the 13th, it's, oh jason killed someone else who i don't know and i don't like awesome um any other positives mom i have one last thing then we can transition to negatives i would like to talk about the restaurant scene oh yes because i feel like sometimes movies they just focus on the individual like you have maybe one or two or whatever but when you walk into the restaurant you have a variety of characters all reacting differently Yes. And so that brings, I think, humanity in there as well. And so I kind of wrote down some of the dialogue because I thought it was interesting. Can I just say something really quick? Yes. I'm so proud. Are you proud? I'm proud. You're crushing it. Good job. I came from you. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. It's just fine. I'm glad, Kyle. I'm glad. Um, But I was thinking about how, um, you know, Melanie comes into the diner and then there's this distraught mom with two kids Mm -hmm. and she's like, why are they, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And they, and then she kind of accuses her and said, this hadn't happened until you got here. Mm -hmm. And so we see that like even in other movies, but also in real life where people, make just make conclusions mm-hmm. over something that really isn't logical yeah but they want to blame somebody yes. so we have this mom pointing a finger at her 
as though she's the one that has inspired the birds to start killing their people. <laughs> you know, and a lot of it's out of fear. They want yes. to find out the reason. And the way, one thing that the movie did really well is it never gave you a reason. Mm-hmm. And so you have to kind of draw your own conclusion, like all the people in the diner. And so you have another guy talking about the apocalypse. And mm-hmm. he's quoting, you know, the scriptures of, you know, beware beware yeah the world is ending and the plagues are here um and then you have a lady that is like a know-it-all with birds yeah and she's quoting all these things it's like birds would never do this and no and then another guy let's wipe them out and yeah she's like <laughs> logically that's dumb because you could never wipe out the birds and yes. she then names how many birds there are in the world mm-hmm. and then I don't know if Melanie said something about, well, there's all different kinds of birds. And she says, oh, the birds would never come and work together. If yeah. they did, they'd kill us all. Yeah. And so there's just all these interesting conversations that when you look back at it, you kind of go, they had a glimpse of some of what was coming, but they were all just conjecture at this point because it was more of a, the kids were attacked, but they didn't really see any big harm coming. Mm-hmm. But then it just grows and mounts from that point on. Yeah, I I loved the diner scene. I thought the diner scene should be like when we were at JBU, we had to uh, recreate movie scenes to learn about like blocking and how to structure a scene. And so the assignment, which is a pretty cool assignment, would be uh, we would just get the script, but we weren't allowed to watch the scene. And so then you would film it and then you'd see how they actually did it in the movie. You'd watch everyone's submission, then you'd see how they actually. And I feel like this is a great scene because you have multiple viewpoints. You have different characters talking. You have characters moving throughout the diner. And then, like you said, there's all these different perspectives. And it, it's a nice, uh, it makes the world feel a little bit bigger. You know, I like our main characters and I totally would have been fine just hanging out with them it's a nice break where you're getting different personalities and then you're also biased because you believe the protagonist and you're watching a movie called the bird. So you know that they're right. And then that makes it really puts you in the protagonist's headspace where you feel their frustration because everyone's kind of just railroading them or gaslighting them and being like, no, no, especially again, that bird lady, I wanted to punch in the face. I was like, shut up bird lady. I was uh, disappointed that uh, the birds didn't come for her. I was like, I want her to, I want a bird to carry her away. Um, Did you not watch to the end of the credits? Oh, is because there a post-credit a little, scene? Yeah, I had a post-credit, and she was carried off. A pterodactyl yeah. comes. <laughs> She's like, pterodactyls died out millions of years ago. Pterodactyls like... This is impossible! <laughs> I want that. I want to resurrect Alfred Hitchcock's body, and then we will direct that scene together. And then uh, probably use the technology for good, because if we're able to do that, probably could do other things. That's right. Um I watching that scene, the last thing I want to say about it is I was like, oh, dude, Stephen King totally saw the birds and took this energy and put it in his own stuff because he has a scene very similar or not a scene. His premise of he has a I think it might be called a novella. Maybe it's a short story, but it's turned into a movie called The Mist. And that's kind of the whole premise is that this mist infects this small town and you can't see anything. And so there's all these characters who are already in this grocery store. 
um, but then others come to the grocery store because there's some there's creatures in the mist that are attacking people and there's all different sorts and so they all hide in this grocery store and again they're asking similar questions where they're like where did this mist come from and people are talking about some of the stuff they've seen and others who never were outside are like that's impossible there's nothing that big that exists or like no spiders can't get that big and then the thing that really made me go oh this is something that influenced Stephen King again I would hypothesize and if he didn't get it from here I can buy that but it just is so similar which is something that Stephen King does all the time is he has um religious zealot type characters who are people who go way too hard on the spectrum of diving into you know being religious and usually like a just a really awful mean person you've seen that in misery um but that was briefly seen in the birds where you have the character who is like like you said quoting the bible and is trying to fit this really weird thing into a biblical structure but what i loved is that he's drunk he's the town drunk yeah <laughs> he's the town and drunk. he's the one that knows all the verses <laughs> yes but then that someone too uh, quotes the bible to him and That's says right. something about drinking i <laughs> yeah. thought that was so that funny was very clever and so I feel like, and again, that's in a mist. There's a character who is like, oh, this is a punishment for our sins. And she quickly kind of becomes like the leader and starts like throwing people out into the mist. And um, that diner scene of people, like exactly like you said, um, you know, descending into paranoia and descending into fear and letting fear drive their decisions. It's a short scene in the whole context of the movie, but it works really well because I think especially now, you know, being, I won't say post COVID cause we're like still in COVID, but I'd say post the craziness of just like the past couple of years, we've seen that cause it's always existed, but it's kind of like all of America kind of got to witness that. And I won't call it phenomenon. Cause again, it's proven that people do this, but we got to see it so um, publicly constantly that, People are quick to take sides. People are quick to point fingers. People are quick to do all these things. And so you just have this little box of a diner with a specific situation and you just see it explode. And it's just really, again, thrilling to watch. Yeah. Reveals just the variety of human responses and people's character or lack of. And again, is like it just shows that I would die in these types of movies because I would get so frustrated. <laughs> I would protect you. Yeah, that's a movie there. <laughs> um, and just on that note, we have to do this, Mom. I know it's your least favorite part, but I just the the bird slaps in terms of like some of the horror stuff. Um, there's a shot, and it's simultaneously scary, but it's also hilarious. Is at the birthday party when the kids are first attacked. It's not as bad as the school attack, but. There's a birthday party and there's one shot of a girl just lying down and a bird is just pecking her head. And I was like, that's so, you know, she's okay. But it's so, it was just so dark that this girl is like, I don't know if she passed out or whatever, but it's just a stack shot of a bird just pecking this kid. And I was like, oof, there's just something about that that elicits like a lizard brain. Like, no, we're not supposed to have creatures on top of us pecking but also it was kind of funny because it was just kind of random. All our kids were running. This one kid was like, I'm going to play dead. And the bird's like, I know you're alive. <laughs> peck, 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 peck. Um, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add that when you think about when this movie was made, 
most people stayed away from harming children. Yes. (laughs) And so here you have a movie where you're worried about the children and the children, you know, they're not completely decimated like some of the other people. Yes. But they still are under threat. And maybe one of the negatives was when they were running away from the school. Mm -hmm. Some of the looks (laughs) on the kid's face, (laughs) you know, it's like they're looking scared, but they really just looked stupid. Yeah. (laughs) But I did think, you know, back in the day, like you didn't see some, you didn't see kids getting really harmed or in the middle yeah. of a threat. And he went for it. Yeah. He had the poor school, school children threatened many times. Yes, <laughs> that's a great point. Um, because again, in terms of like what I like about doing the show is that again, it just shows me all the the, the strains of connection from old to, to modern and you're right like that like there's something sacred about kids like it's like taboo you don't mess with kids and that's what's interesting is that like again um society culture it's like um you know like a lot of people are religious a lot of people aren't but there's like some common truths that people agree on and even if you don't believe in a higher power there's something in us and as humans that we go you don't mess with kids that's wrong like kids should be protected um and so to exploit that as a filmmaker and i don't mean exploit in a bad way but just it's like it's basically you knowing that you can get a reaction um it is interesting that he did that because again i think that's what's made other horror movies effective that came after but again i can't prove it but i i would agree with you to where it's like it's probably something like steven spielberg watching the birds and being like, oh, like, you know, Alfred Hitchcock went for the kids. So I'll go for the kids, too, because that's a very effective scene in, in Jaws. And two, they're similar to of um, both are, you know, um, nature, the horror of nature going out of control. Um, and something I read and you can tell me if you agree with this or not, but is that prior to the birds most films horror films scary films b-movie films you know no matter how crazy the monster was it was something that could be defeated it was something that the protagonist could overcome whether it's through willpower guns you know muscle brains it was something you're thinking sharknado aren't you yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) we can defeat these sharks um we just need chainsaw hands and cheesy one-liners um but you could like and you could understand the threat the wolfman you know okay sure that's impossible it's crazy but silver bullets we got it you know creature from the black loon i just need chiseled abs and a spear gun we got it whereas the birds it is this thing that is actually real birds exist surprise even though there is that campaign that birds aren't real which we can talk about off mic which is hilarious they're drones um anyway but birds are a part of our life again there's billions of them there's so many different kinds that some of them have done weird stuff um but then this film again has them attack and then doesn't take a clear stance on why and as the bird lady in the diner points out there's billions of birds and there's no way to just get rid of the birds and that was one of the first times that it's like the villain the threat is not this clear tangible thing it's not thing. a singular thing yeah 
to just continue really quick with um, some of the horror stuff that I liked. Uh, there's a body discovery in this film that goes hard where I'm like, dang, like even for today, I'm like, dang, Alfred, how did you get away with that? Yeah, very gross. I knew you wouldn't like it. Um, one of a main character is killed in this movie and I found it really sad and affecting. I had totally forgotten about this. And when it happened, I went, no. And the way the scene plays out, it's awful. Mm -hmm. And again, I like that. I feel that way. I find it more enjoyable as an audience member to be affected by a death Mm -hmm. and, and be sad as opposed to being indifferent or gleeful. (laughs) Cause again, I'm going to keep picking on Friday the 13th where you're just like, Oh, you deserved that. You know, this case, it was like, ah, that sucks. And again, I, I like something that, tethers me to my humanity as a person where it's like i don't want my fellow people to be harmed and that's what makes the film effective it's like oh that sucks that's awful and it, again is getting a reaction that's good storytelling mm-hmm. um, especially when they are protecting somebody yeah oh you know the protector willing to sacrifice but then you're so sad because I like that person. I guess we're not naming them. No, we will so not. But we'll talk sad. about it in the spoilers. <laughs> okay. We'll get we'll break it down. But okay. yeah, like just especially like again the the um the the dignity given to that character, which again I think would have been not done well now, which is terrible. Not yeah, be like sentence. oh they died instead of. Or just like, again, making them like more antagonistic. So Mm -hmm. we're okay with it. It's Mm -hmm. just like, no, like they were a full person and they died and they shouldn't have. That sucks. Um, and then, yeah, my last note was the, uh, the, the diner scene, uh, which slapped. So mom, we're in negative city now. We've mentioned some stuff, but what what were the main things you didn't like about the birds? I don't know if there was anything that I absolutely didn't like. There was some poor filming moments. Yeah. Um, but I also can, I can, you know, understand why they were there because of the time that it was made. They didn't have the same capability that they have now. Um, I don't know if I have any major negative. Maybe I'll be reminded when you share what yours are. Sure. Um, so I have, three um like nitpicky things but i'm going to start off with the elephant in the room which is what we talked about at the beginning and this isn't a negative of the film in terms of its quality but it's just like you can't really talk about the film without talking about um tippy hedron's experience with it yes which is unfortunate and so i'm going to read something this is from I think it's slash film. I meant to put the URL and I forgot, uh, <laughs> but I think it's from Fla- slash film. I'll put it in the show notes um, just so that, you know, these authors get credit for their words. But um, here's a quick little blurb about her time on the movie. Um, it said Hedron claimed that Hitchcock's behavior, which had seemed gentlemanly and benign to begin with, got increasingly worse. He tried to control what she ate and wore as well as who visited her on set. Hitchcock also consistently insisted on taking her out for dinner and drinks, and he told dirty jokes while no one else was around. He grew jealous when she talked to other men and instructed people not to talk, to talk or touched her, touch her. Then he allegedly threw himself on top of her in the back of a limo trying to kiss her. She later speculated that the grueling ordeal Hitchcock put her through in the attic scene, which we'll talk about more later, um, was the director seeking revenge for her um, for knocking back his advances. 
He originally told her that only mechanical birds would be used for that scene, but live animals were brought in um, when the the mechanical birds apparently weren't good enough. Shooting the scene was terrifying, lasting five days as crew members threw live seagulls, ravens, and other birds at her. She eventually broke down when one almost pecked out her eye, and a doctor ordered her to take a week off to recover from the exhaustion of it. Um, That's awful. Yeah, really bad. Um, And then... This was a separate article, but done by the same people slash film, I believe. And it said, although I thought this was a good kind of ending statement on the whole thing. It said, although Hitchcock is undoubtedly a master of his craft, pushing actors to do their best while respecting their boundaries should not be a mutually exclusive experience. Abuse is abuse and geniuses should never be a shield or genius should never be a shield used to deflect valid criticisms against the greatest artists, including Hitchcock, which I thought was a nice definitive because you know it's something that we talk about on humming fools a lot and something we talk about on the night shift which is separating the artist from the art um and uh this was something i was like aware of about hitchcock which i didn't really know about growing up but like the older i got the more i would kind of hear that he was a little bit weird and problematic with women especially and so watching the attic scene i think is a great scene but it also was kind of a bummer being like i know that the scene was kind of revenge slash wasn't a good experience and that she almost lost her eye. And then again, it resulted in her like collapsing. And she said, I watched in the behind the scenes that when she did collapse and just start crying, that everyone just kind of like walked away and she just was like alone. And I was like, that sucks. Um, Cause again, like you should protect and take care of people who are working on your project. It's like, ultimately it's just a movie as much as like you want to do a good job. It's like, it's just a movie. And so I was sad for her, especially hearing what you were saying about him tanking her career. Just was like, ugh, like it's, it's, I, I like that, you know, people complain about, I like that we live in a time now where there is a lot more accountability and stuff. I know that it can have its own issues and stuff, but um, it makes me sad because there's just so many women, uh, like really talented people who I'm like, oh, if only they were in the time that we're in now, what could they have done or what stuff would they have been in if they wouldn't have lived? Because even she talked about, she's like, we didn't have the words that you guys have now for Mm -hmm. this sort of stuff. Um, And so not even as a actress having the language to verbalize what's happening to you in terms of like the power dynamics and stuff, it just being like, oh, I mean, well, it's Hitchcock, so I should be thankful. Yeah. So, yeah, it is just <clears throat> sad to think about the Hollywood culture and it's still there, but mm-hmm. like you hear so much more back in the day, you know, even with kid actors of oh, how yeah. they controlled them and the things that they did that really is abuse, mm-hmm. um, but it was acceptable because people in power were able to call the shots and they made the rules. And if you wanted a job, you didn't complain Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's very sad to hear that hitchcock i think there's others too that had issues with him as well Mm -hmm. and so yeah it kind of destroys a little bit of the fun of a film yeah when you know some of the stuff behind the scenes that's just disappointing Mm -hmm. and again it's not like a you know people have many aspects to them and so it's like some people are like oh my experiences were great and it's like both can coexist you know yeah. like we've seen that a lot with people it's like mm-hmm. like no one is like this definitive stereotype or caricature there's 
depth, good and bad. We all within us um, have the capabilities for goodness and, and also for lack of a better term, evil. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, again, Alfred Hitchcock is undoubtedly like a genius and super influential on film. And I'm sure was awesome to certain people, but it's like, that doesn't, there's not like a rating system of like, Oh, you can be this good to then like discount how crappy you are to other people. Um, which again, it bums me out with some of these like classic films watching where just like, Oh man, like I hate that. Like you taint this a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) um but not to bum us out don't want to be bummed out but it it is something that i feel like is good to address um in honor of the actress um because again she is what makes this movie really cool and so it's also amazing watching it going wow she's so good yeah and she was being so good while under all this pressure i'm like because if she would have sucked it would like make sense just getting harassed (laughs) the whole time stressed Yeah. yeah Um, my quick little nitpicks was like you said, um, there's some stuff with the filmmaking that's just like really bad. And I mean, in terms of the effects, but again, it was the time, so I'm not coming at it with, yeah. but it does take you out of the film where you're just like, that's a really bad green screen shot. <laughs> kids running and flailing their arms. Yes. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, the kids looking stupid, um, which just as a fun fact, they were on a treadmill for that scene, a really long treadmill. And they just, I guess, apparently it was a really tough workout of just, they were <laughs> running again with birds like glued to them and stuff. And not real birds, but other real birds were attached and just was like, it would have been really funny to drive by and be like, what's going on over there? (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's one, you mentioned some dumb decisions being made and Night Shift, we do not go easy on dumb decisions. And there's one real dumb decision in this movie. We'll talk about in the spoilers, but um, a character investigates a noise or something at the end. And I just remember going, no, <laughs> no, you're smart. Why would you do that? And what's interesting is, is that Alfred Hitchcock, I guess, interrogated the writer going, why would she do that? And the writer kind of explained it. And Hitchcock went, no, 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 no. And then basically talked through what could lead to that. And they rewrote it and they made it make sense. Like listening to what they said, I was like, oh yeah, that would have been much better. But then oddly enough, Hitchcock didn't film it. So in the script, that scene works better. But for some reason he omitted it. And I don't know why. I couldn't find out why he didn't do it. Because in the film, it just plays out the way that he judged. (laughs) So I don't, maybe he was. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, And then it's tempting to say that the film leaves too many things unexplained. I think I have a gut reaction to the ending, which again, I won't spoil, but I think I have a gut reaction to the ending where I'm like, but, uh." but while it's tempting to say that, I think ultimately actually is a positive because I think if a film leaves you wanting more, the film leaves you theorizing and you're talking to your mom or your friend it's like that's fun as opposed to you leaving a film and be like, well, I got everything that I need from that. <laughs> I think I, I think it works in its favor, but I can understand, too, because I know the ending's a little bit polarizing for some people. Dad did not like the ending. Oh, really? He complained about it. <laughs> and the more I thought about it, the more I actually liked the ending. Gotcha. So, but I think part of it is because we do, as people, we want resolution. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things in life where you don't get resolution. Yeah. And so you use your imagination and you think through the different scenarios of which way it could have played out. And to me, it 
seemed to be more interesting the way that they ended it. Agreed. Yeah. I, I think I ultimately settled on liking it. Um, so sorry, Dan, but also, uh, I think again, people who identify with that, it makes sense. Cause I think I feel similarly about other films. So it's never like a umbrella statement. Of, right. It's just, it, you, you take it by each film that it pops up in. So, all right, mom, we have arrived to the place where we reveal Woo-hoo! our ratings. What did you give the birds? I did give the birds a B. But I'm thinking like oh, you're going to try to cheat. Three point five would be a solid B, so I'm giving it a three point eight. Okay, out of <laughs> out of five. Yes. Okay, so it is no. a no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is a B. It is a B. Yeah, I was right. Good job to me and Janice. Yep. Good job to you because I gave it an A plus, baby. Awesome. Well, I love this movie. You have been a little giddy, so yeah. it was easy to read. The giddiness <laughs> was to be with you. Ah, A plus. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's like, A plus for being on the podcast. <laughs> no, I like, again, I remembered liking it, and it was a pleasant memory of mm-hmm. us watching it. I remember really enjoying us watching it because yeah. I think Mom and Lauren, or sorry, Dad and Lauren were off doing something else. Yeah, we didn't want to go out. <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to go out. And I think it was October. I think it was. No, it, it was, was Christmas. New Year's Eve. Oh, the power wanted, of memory. They wanted to go to Eureka Springs at midnight, and you and I were like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." <laughs> now is, you would go. Yeah, like, which is funny because now go. I'm like, "That sounds awesome. Let's <laughs> do it." But yeah, I didn't want to go. Yeah, eighth grade Kyle did not want to go, so I stayed with you. <laughs> eighth grade Kyle was having a hard time. <laughs> Which I appreciate. I appreciate you not being like, oh, Kyle's so lame. Let's We have to go. I want to party. You were like, no, we can chill and watch the birds. Yeah. It was fun. And I, Taylor Swift. Remember that? What was Was it an <laughs> award show? No, it was a countdown. And so she was some of the music for the countdown. Uh, like for the ball drop? Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> that. You know what the true horror is? Is freaking crushing on Miley Cyrus and sending her an uh, email trying to get free tickets because I was a missionary kid. <laughs> I cringed so hard. I remember like I was so embarrassed by my crush on Miley Cyrus and somehow you found out because I think I shamefully admitted that I wanted to go to a concert, not because I liked her music, but because I was into her and you're like, you should write her. And I was like, I will, mom, I will write her. And I'm like, oh, gross. Bad decision, bad encouragement. Go back in time. We're different people now, that mom. We are. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have given the ratings B from mom, A plus from Kyle Stuke. Audience, this is the point where we are going to transition to any sort of little spoilers that we want to get into. So if you don't want to know what happens exactly in the birds, this is the time to fly away. Um, And uh, if you have seen the birds and or don't care and just want to know what happens, stick around. We're going to get to spoilers. Spoilers! And we're back. Mom, how are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you, Kyle. Thank thank you. Um, let's talk spoilers. So um, just in regards to the ending, um, can you tell us, Mom, how the film ends? And then we'll get into some um, of the nitty gritty. Well, the final shot of the film is trying to make their way out of the house, out of the town, because... Melanie has been injured. Yeah. 
And so they probably shouldn't have left the house. <laughs> yeah. And they tried to keep the birds out of the house, but because she is injured, they feel like the best decision for her mm-hmm. is for everybody to go. And so at this point, the birds have calmed down. It's the lull in between who knows when the next violent outbreak will be. Yeah. But they're willing to risk it. And so, um, what was his name again? Mitch. Mitch, Mitch kind of very calmly goes out and he gets in the car and he slowly drives the car up to the house and slowly each person navigates into the car and quietly they drive out this long driveway, which I think they said it took 32 separately filmed parts to get the scene. Oh, geez. Isn't that interesting? But I wonder how long it took them to actually get down the road. Yeah. <laughs> but they drive down this road and you just see birds on every side of the car. You see birds up on anything that they can be on. And um, there's a very, it's a very silent exit. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of go, at what point, you know, inside I'm going, when will they be disrupted? Are they going to keep driving? And then it just kind of ends as they drive and the movie stops. Yeah. Um, so you mentioning it being silent, that's a fun fact that I forgot to mention earlier. So if you're here in the spoiler section, you get something that the other people don't. So congratulations, listeners. Um, <laughs> but uh, this film does not have a soundtrack. It does not have music. It is all... I noticed that. It is all just the, the bird sounds. And this was done intentionally, obviously, to create suspense and the, the growing horror. Um but several endings were considered for the birds and one that uh, would have been a nice homage to your roots and your dad's roots was that there was going to be um, the last shot was going to be the Golden Gate Bridge completely covered in birds, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm glad that they didn't do because it would have felt too like, oh, bird apocalypse. And I like this is more personal, I think. And I don't know. I mean, it's a cool idea, but yeah. I don't know. Um, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was thinking what it would be like. I mean, because what that's the question, right? Is where does this bird attack stop? Yeah. Is it localized or is it elsewhere? So that kind of ending would say, no, it's everywhere. Where yeah. this one is like, we're just worried about this family. Yeah. Um, and like you said, the film just kind of ends, which I was annoyed by my, uh, my, the disc I had. So I bought the 4k, you know, special edition, whatever. And it just like, as soon as the movie was done, it just went back to the menu. And I was like, Hey, play the credits. What's wrong with you? Really took me out of it. Didn't like it. But something that I didn't notice that, um, I discovered in my research was that the movie does not finish with the usual, the end title card purposely because Alfred Hitchcock wanted to give the impression of, uh, unending terror. So like you're saying, it's, really wanting to leave you with the what happens next. Um, which again is kind of what happens in the mist novel, not the movie, the movie ends quite darkly, but, uh, the novel ends in a very similar, like we're moving forward into the unknown. Um, and what will happen to our family. And, and that's kind of the same case here. 
Um, before we get into some interpretations of the ending, there's a lot of weird details that I just kind of want to pick your brain about. And emphasis on pick, like a bird pick. Ow! <laughs> I want to peck your brain. No! <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm just going to list off some of these details, then let's unpack them real quick. Okay. So first off, something that's interesting is, again, all the birds go crazy, except for the lovebirds. Yes. The lo- so again, audience, uh, just to give context, at the beginning of the film, Mitch is going to buy lovebirds for his sister. This is how him and uh, Melanie meet. And so then they have a whole weird, will they, won't they, but aggressive prank vibe thing. She buys lovebirds, brings them to the coastal town. The daughter loves them, and they're then just present throughout the film. Um, but at the end, um, the, can I bring the yeah. lovebirds? <laughs> Which I was like, no, don't bring the lovebirds. I'll it. turn on you. <laughs> we gotta take them out. Um, but Mitch agrees, which that was funny because that seemed like a very real adult moment of just like, I don't have time to deal with this. Sure, yes. Um, but yeah, the lovebirds never are aggressive, they never freak out, they are chill. Um, whereas again, every other bird, again, of different species, all this stuff is aggressive. And so strange detail. Um, another thing that was just kind of interesting, fun background stuff is that Mitch's mom, she has chickens and she notices that the chickens have stopped eating and she's mad because she just got new feed. And so she thinks that it's the farmer who sold her the feeds fault. And so she calls him complaining. And then he mentions, um, that, he had an, a similar issue with another customer, but it was different feed. So it's not the feed. Yes. Um, and then just some like cool imagery that I thought that someone pointed out that I didn't think about was that, you know, at the beginning of the film, and this could tie into some of the interpretations or themes, the beginning of the film, humans are walking around, are free, and the birds are all in cages. We, we start in a, a bird store. So, you know, it's pretty obvious but then again, as the birds attack, people are going into their homes and hiding and boarding up their their houses. And it's kind of, again, uh, humans now have been caged by birds because, uh, again, like we take nature for granted to where there's just these dinosaurs flying around <laughs> um, and they choose to be chill and leave us alone. And so when you can't leave somewhere is when that space becomes a cage. Um, and so the fact that again, to stay safe, even Melanie, you know, at one point, um, hides in a phone booth, uh, which is like a cage, um, which again, we can talk about a little bit more later, but I thought that that was interesting. Um, the other thing is, um, they bring up that Mitch is maybe too close to his mom in this movie. Um, and I don't think too close in like a weird way, but just like he goes there every weekend. And maybe that's because of guilt because her husband has passed away. So he feels like he needs to help. Maybe it's to see his sister. But Mitch's ex, who is the town teacher and ends up letting Melanie stay with her when they're talking about this dynamic, because Mitch's mom is kind of the result of her and Mitch not working out because she's so protective. She's like, no, I, you know, I hate to, I forget how she says it, but she's like, uh, not to, you know, um, how, how, what did she say? Something like not to discredit Oedipus, but I don't think that's, or like Freud, like not to disappoint, to disappoint Freud, but there's no Oedipus complex here. But then interesting enough, when we first meet that 
farmer who's killed, he has his eyes gouged out, which again is what Oedipus does to himself <laughs> once he finds out that he has been married to his mom. Normal reaction. Um, but I just thought that that was interesting. I hadn't thought about though that line and that imagery being potentially tethered, which they could not be. But once someone said, it, I was like, I can't unhear see it. I don't know. So Janice Stuke, wow. mother of Kyle Stuke, hmm. transitioning to interpretations. There's one clear, obvious one. And then there's like a couple like mini ones that I read about and thought, hmm, that's interesting. But before we get to that, what do you think about the ending? Do you have any thoughts about why the birds are attacking? Why aren't the chickens eating? Why are the lovebirds not being weird? Um, what's like, why does the film put such emphasis on this second story of basically Mitch, his mom and Melanie kind of like, cause the, the main story is obviously the birds, but I feel like there's the second story of Mitch's relationship with women. And, um, again, Melanie changing as a person and Melanie not having a mom. And I just think there's an interesting thing there that again isn't ever fully there's not a full resolution but the film obviously cares about it because it spends a lot of time touching on it so tell me what you think about just the story of the birds the ending what does it all mean janice it's a good question i do think you know they're trying to bring some depth into these relationships as why the characters are the way they are and so you think about the loss of a father a loss of a husband and him, you know, trying to be responsible. And so he's kind of owned too much responsibility. And she has allowed him to give up, you know, his own life in order to, you know, help her not be afraid of being alone or being abandoned. And so you see that they have really a not great dynamic because then neither one of them are free either mm -hmm. maybe they're in the cage mom yes i don't know good job but you as the brilliant person that you are when you throw in something that has not been entered into the equation which is a threat of you know a threat of life and the terror of the birds mm -hmm. it breaks down some of these walls so melanie and lydia actually start connecting mm -hmm. because there's compassion towards one another and then mitch is realizing you know that he you know has these feelings for melanie and so it's not just about his mom anymore it's about this new person that just entered his life mm -hmm. and so you see a shifting in relationship that even though he would say all the things of the birds are bad Mm -hmm. But what the birds introduced into their personal lives has been an impetus for some growth and change. Mm -hmm. So the other question about what is the birds all about? What do they represent? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like I was trying to think of, you know, like today we would go, well, it's the way we treated the environment. And so that's yeah. probably why the birds have turned on us. I thought it was interesting what you said about the reversal of cages 
you know, the symbolism mm-hmm. of, you know, like no, we're no longer in cages and now you are the one in cages. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't really know. I don't know if I need to know. Yeah. It's like the threat is the threat and how long will the threat, is there an answer? Is it growing worldwide? Because as the lady in the restaurant said, if the birds all join together, we have no chance. That's right. I like the idea of inserting you into the uh, the diner scene and everyone's hypothesizing and then it turns to you and you're like, the threat's the threat. I don't care why they're doing it. They're doing it. And then you bust out and you're just shooting birds and it's That's awesome. Right. You have a Rambo headband. Excuse me, I need to go write this. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I agree. Like, it's fun to look into the meanings of films and stuff, but so often it's like we project stuff on or we find stuff that artists never put there, but it's cool. And even sometimes stuff is there that we're not aware of to go. And I'm going to try to be concise because there's so many different directions. And also like we're having carnitas tonight and I want to eat I'm it. I'm hungry. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I admit that, at the end, I was a little disappointed and not at the abrupt ending, but it felt really sad watching Melanie's character get broken down. Cause she yes. starts out really independent and very strong. Lively, yes. yes. Very lively. And to see her, um, basically become catatonic yeah. was like kind of a bummer. And it felt like, Oh man, this was such a cool character. And we ruined her kind of, I think I've moved away from that because I think, reading about stuff, some of the interpretations I like kind of viewed it in a more hopeful light, which is that, um, the mom, which you say her mom, the mom's name is Judy, Lydia, Lydia, sorry, none of the same letters, (laughs) Lydia. Um, she has a history of, of being protective of Mitch and, um, you know, she admits as, as much basically saying, I don't want to be alone. And so Mitch and her kind of have this codependent relationship. And I think it's interesting because Melanie has a father, but doesn't have a mom who ran away. And then Mitch has a father who died and then has a mom who she's, who he's with all the time. And so then they come together and they kind of basically form this new family unit and someone, something that someone said that I thought was interesting, which I'm going to post um, this interpretation because they give multiple interpretations, but it was a great video. What did I write? I want to make sure that I actually say uh, it's it's a channel on YouTube called The Take, and then it's a video essay on the bird. So I'll link to it because they do a better job. But they basically say that the reason that um, uh, Lydia doesn't like these other women is because again she feels threatened by them because she wants to be useful. Because if you're not useful, then like why would someone stick around? So she wants to be useful to Mitch, which is why I think it's so codependent is like, she wants to like to be, and she can be useful in the sense that she needs something. So it's not necessarily that she's benefiting his life, but it's like, Oh, he has a reason to come here. He has a reason to see me. He has a reason to see his sister. But then you introduce a strong independent woman who's really crazy and lively. And she's reading about her in the newspapers. It's threatening. Cause it's like, Oh, this person is a more fun and B can give Mitch everything that I want that I thought I could give him, which again is purpose and this sort of stuff. So again, it's not like a weird Oedipus thing. It's just, again, codependent. Mm -hmm. She's lost her main provider and and she's lost her purpose too. 
And so they said that the, the moment she starts coming around to Melanie is really, which again, there's some bonding and stuff beforehand, but it's when Melanie is attacked and then reverts to that catatonic state that she, uh, Lydia becomes more proactive and then is really caring for Melanie. And it's because she has seen Melanie's humanity. Whereas before she saw her as a threat and as someone who is just stronger and better than her, she's seen, Oh, Melanie's just like me. She can be harmed. She is not perfect. She can, she's a real human being. And that makes her more comfortable where she's like, I, have seen the duality of this person. And so she wants to then take care of Melanie and no longer feels threatened, which again could be reading into it way too much, but at the end they look at each other and there is that sense of like, Mm -hmm. we're cool. And I like that. Um, Again, I wish that Mel, I hope that Melanie's okay. Like I don't want Melanie to be in a mental hospital going the birds, the birds. Cause again, she was so lively and cool. And I, I liked how brave she was. Um, but I did think that that was interesting and especially like Lydia calls out Mitch when like she's frustrated about something. She's like, Oh, your father would have. And then she cuts herself off. And so I think there's just a lot of very human dynamics going on Mm -hmm. that play into the film in an interesting way. I agree. Great. Uh, (laughs) So to go backwards and then jump forwards and we'll be done. Okay is that the obvious interpretation for this film, I think that most people have, and when I say obvious, I don't mean it's bad. Not like, oh, it's obvious, so it's stupid. But I think it is like we can take this into a um, nature horror way, which is that as humans, we've abused nature, and so nature fights back, and we are punished for our sins of how we've treated Mother Nature. And so... I like the interpretation that the whole world is, and this is me, so I'm going to take credit. This is just how I thought about it. It's like the whole world is, because I have a similar idea with my stories. Pretentious plug. Anyway, um, (laughs) but I like the whole idea that the whole world is an organism and all its animals in a way are part of that organism. And so, because when you look at nature, every there's this crazy balance to it. And it doesn't mean it's perfect, but because again, sometimes you're like, why... Uh, is that panda doing that strange thing? And it's not part of its design. It's just like a weird like glitch, like birds attacking people when they eat bad algae. But again, like the, just the way that the universe is balanced. Again, people talk about how close the Earth is to the sun. There's all this cool, crazy design yeah, we're all elements existing together. Yeah, and again, that like there's symbiotic relationships. The birds are like, oh, I can sit on this like you know rhino, and it's not mad because I'm like eating stuff for it. Or you know, there's just cool connection within nature, and so I like the idea that the Earth is reacting to humans as if they are a virus and the earth is going hmm okay you guys are not behaving the way everyone else is behaving which is supposed to be in harmony um you guys are like getting a little too advanced with how you know you're treating technology and again how you're treating the environment and so the birds basically taking on this white blood cell role of all right we need to dim your numbers a little bit because you're getting out of line um, and even if you don't subscribe to the, the whole earth as an organism, it can't just be birds being like, you've caged us. 
And that's not cool. And Mitch brings that up. And honestly, it's something I've always felt. And I don't want to come at people for having pet birds. But I never like seeing birds in really tiny cages. A dog, a cat, I get. They have space to run around. They're loved. They're fed. But birds, it's just like their inherent thing is that they fly. Right. (laughs) We're keeping them from flying. Yeah. And so you can view it that way, too. Again, Mitch is like, it seems really cruel to to do this. Um, And so you can see it as the birds being like, we don't love that you're doing this. And someone pointed out that the first attacks, the first person who's killed, again, it's off screen, but it is that farmer. And you could view it as the birds being like, you have a bunch of us and you kill us and then you sell us. And so that makes sense that he's the first one to to go. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't eat chickens because chicken's delicious and we're probably going to have some tonight with those carnitas. No chickens tonight. No chicken? What are we having? Nope. What, what meat are we having? Carnitas pork. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Kyle. <Ugh. laughs> the true horror is being an idiot. <laughs> the bird's like, we won't kill him. He's, he's dumb. <laughs> he is not a threat. Um, but there is that kind of environmental horror. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you, to think about. Do you have I, other thoughts on it? No, I can roll with you. Okay. Um, if I was a uh, bird migrating, would you fly with me? Are you molting? <laughs> I never thought my mom would ask me if I was molting. <laughs> Somehow it's worse than when you ask me if I'm dating. <laughs> I do want to make sure we go back to one more thing that you brought up and you haven't brought closure to. Yeah. The lovebirds. Yes. What was up with those lovebirds? Why were they? Is it because they were called lovebirds? And so when you call something something, they have to live up to what they're being called? Yeah. So this was, and this is a, we didn't plan this audience, but this is a great transition into the the final interpretation. So the title can be kind of viewed in three different ways. So either the birds is just literally the birds, the animals attacking people. The birds can also mean specifically the lovebirds, which represent the family dynamic of Mitch and Melanie. Um, And third, the birds I think this one's a stretch, but I think it's interesting in terms of what it brings up. Because again, with these types of films, especially Hitchcock, you're like, what is the deeper themes that stuff represents? Someone hypothesized that the birds is using the, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, slang slash derogatory term for women. Um, specifically birds meaning dumb and, or, um, what's the word like, uh, uh, there's a classier term than slutty, but that's the word that they basically meant promiscuous. Sorry. So bird for a woman meeting promiscuous or again, just dumb. And the idea being that Melanie represents like a woman, not having the correct identity in society at that time and so it's the idea that she is independent and that she is fun and she's single she doesn't need another person and so then it's her coming to this small town that has different values because she's from the big city and then she goes to a small town where you get married and that's your role that you play and so it's the the 
people hypothesize that, or they pointed out, all the bird attacks take place when Melanie is trying to pursue Mitch. So the first, again, you could argue no, because off screen again, farmers killed at a separate location. But what we when we see them, first time is Melanie, you know, pulling the prank on Mitch, and then he drives across the the bay or whatever to then meet her. And when, when they're first looking at each other, kind of making googly eyes, she's attacked by a gall. Um, and then again, it's the birthday party where she and Mitch are connecting birds attack when she's at the school. Uh, Cause she's helping out the mom probably to get Mitch's favor birds attack. And so some people hypothesized that it was her, that it was her oh. fault. And uh, again, just the birds representing women as a, um a a whole force but specifically like suppressed women and being like no 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 this is our role in society and when we go out of it bad things happen and so melanie is being punished and that's what makes the ending in this interpretation darker is that she is broken down to submit to the family unit which is the love and that's why the lovebirds aren't violent because they are the ideal like you're supposed to be like us, which is in a cage and together, male, female, and chill. Which again, I think some of that's kind of a stretch, but I, I do like it because I find it interesting when a film has the variety of interpretations. Mm-hmm. And again, as we've discussed when we've had our conversations about horror, is that horror brings up just what it is to be human. And again, like... Uh, these are real issues that face humans, which is just the difference between genders and how they've been treated and the roles in society and the hardships that have come with that. And without making it a joke, it's like the true horror is how like women have been treated throughout history in certain things in certain areas. And so I found that um, at the best a plausible maybe something that's bleeding into the script it's a little hard for me to see just because it was written and directed by a man so i don't really know if they were like let's yeah, talk about intentional the... about that yeah do, what do you think about all that janice you're i talked blowing for a long my time mind. you're blowing my mind um yeah it is interesting to kind of go there's some validity in that kind of explanation so I have to ponder it a little bit longer. But yeah, it does kind of change, like depending on which vantage point you start going down, then it actually tempers the rest of the movie into interpreting the scenes differently because it is true. The, the farmer one is the only attack outside of Melanie being part of that mm-hmm. scene. So it is interesting to go but then again, you have the radio come on mm-hmm. saying there's other towns and it's like, well, are there other Melanie's out there? Yeah. Or is it just what it appears to be that nature is fighting back against humanity? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But it merits good discussion because then you grow thinking about what our society has done and how we cannot be that society. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last interpretation just being that like who knows and i don't say that as a joke because i think as humans we obviously try and want to understand everything and i think that this interpretation really works for this movie because it acknowledges again our struggles as humans which is just that 
things don't always make sense and things that shouldn't go wrong, go wrong. You know, we were joking about certain things in relation to that disruptions to lives and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think this is an example where it's like, you know, I obviously am here this weekend, have a bigger car bill than what I expected. And it's like we in our minds go, things should be a certain way. And then when they pop up, there's not always an answer for why. But we try to turn stuff into stories. We try to create narratives. And so in relation to the birds, it's like there could be algae, there could be whatever. But how often in life are there things that are unexplainable? We're like, oh, that friendship for whatever reason died. And I don't actually really know what happened there or something was weird at my work. And, you know, this, this project, like, you know, again, just disappeared or, um, you know, like things as big as conspiracies, like who shot JFK? It's like, there's just some things that there's never going to be a definitive answer on. And it's really frustrating to us. Cause again, we want to know. And I think that's what is scary is that at any mo moment in our life, we're unaware of how many systems are in play. We were talking mm -hmm. about, you know, just mother nature. It's like, there are so many bugs. There are so many birds. And we take for granted that they, for the most part, work in a way that is not like antagonistic to us, but we don't fully understand how certain things work. So if something like birds just switched all of a sudden, it breaks the norm of our reality and it really would be horrifying. I've had a gnat infestation, as we've, as you heard me complain about a lot. And I always think when I complain about it, there's a gratefulness at the end of it because I go, but imagine if they were like actually coming at me and there was more. Because again, there's so many bugs, but they're predictable because we study them as humans that we do. We study our environment and we make conclusions. But a lot of it, I mean, it's a hypothesis. It's not a scientific fact necessarily. That's where you start in determining things. And so, um, again, it can be frustrating to some viewers, but I think that interpretation works really well in terms of identifying with the, our, uh, the humanity of viewers, the film saying life is going to be like this for us. Some things will make sense, but other things you're never going to get an answer on and you can either die <laughs> or you can, drive yourself crazy trying to figure out or you can focus on the present and drive off and try to get the girl that you love to a hospital because you know if they survive eventually as much as they'll talk about that event happening eventually it'll be normal and that's something that Stephen Keen has talked about is like our brains want to and you know about this because you do counseling and are awesome and a beautiful person who makes the world better through taking care of people but with trauma, like people will experience something and then they can then bury it. Or it's like, you have to keep doing your life and it will come up. But if we saw something crazy, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be like, all right, I will talk about that thing for the rest of my life. We may do it for a month. We may do it for a year, but eventually 10 years from now, they'll be like, oh yeah, there's that weird thing with the birds. In that moment, it was horrific and terrifying and the craziest thing that ever happened to Melanie. But 15 years in the future, it, like realistically, people would move on. And I don't know. I think that's interesting. It is interesting. Any last thoughts, mom, on the birds that you would like to say? Any final piece that you would like to say after I just 
vomited all over you uh, <laughs> with uh, pretentious cinema analysis and stuff. I want Janice Duke to take the reins for the ending of this episode. What have you got to say, Mama? I have so much to say. But what I really want to say <laughs> is that I really enjoy talking about movies with you i mean we've always mm-hmm. enjoyed watching them together we've mm-hmm. always enjoyed like what did you like what did you not like what did you think this means what does it not mean and so to be able to have you give me this amount of time to just talk about a movie and um it's just really fun it was fun to research it a little bit it was fun to watch it again and i really like the way that you um just pull out so many different elements because i think that that enhances the enjoyment of movies when you can talk about all the different aspects of what could be, what didn't happen, just all those different things that happen within a story and you're a good storyteller. So I just enjoyed hanging out with you today. So thanks a lot. You can't see an audience, but I have a face that communicates. I feel emotions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you, Mama. Um, I do. Yeah, thanks for. I I don't take for granted that I ask people to like do work. Again, it's fun, but it's like it's still you have to sit down, you have to watch the movie, you have to make notes, you then you have to come spend an, in the, our case, it's just going to be over two hours. Oh my goodness, nobody's going to listen to this. <laughs> no one listens to the, any of them. <laughs> um, but I appreciate you taking the time, and again to to pull it back to the beginning, I appreciate uh, the way that uh, you influenced my like what I got to see. You know, it's something we talk on the show a lot where you know people feel bad for me like me being um suppressed and i understand that and of course like yeah i wanted to watch stuff when i was younger and i didn't get to but i don't really view it in like a negative light it makes sense to me and you know as i got older i got to dive into that stuff and it's fun being able to again articulate it well hopefully have you receive it and understand it? You know, we have different opinions and different tastes and stuff that the fact that we're able to meet in the middle, that's what the show is about. That's what the night shift is about is that there's so much to experience some good, some bad, some mixed, but it's, you know, just like Alfred Hitchcock, it's complicated, but taking the time as people to try to see the other person's point of view and connect, you've always been someone who does that. And both just emotionally, but then be now in a fun, you know, podcast way as well, talking about the birds. So thanks for being a great mom. Thanks for being a great human being. And thanks for coming on the night shift. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks. Let's eat. <laughs> Mom's like, shut up. <laughs> enough. Enough, Kyle. The true horror is me not getting my carnitas. Agreed. Audience. My mom's hangry. It's time to go. Thank you for joining as always. Thank you for joining as always, Carly. Thanks for editing. And uh, my mom's giving me the dagger eyes. I will wrap it up. We'll see you next time on The Night Shift.